Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. <clears throat> First, let me apologize for my screech. I apologize. I should have covered the mic or something or just thought about it. <clears throat> I am excited today. It's good to see your faces, partially. Uh, last week's sermon was extremely important. Um, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, Jeremy brought the word from Ephesians um, 1 and 2. And uh, man, let me encourage you, go back and listen to that. I told him this week, I was like, man, we, we could hear that maybe three more times. And, uh, and to some degree, I'm serious because that truth and even what we're seeing today, guys, it... Um, it might produce some, some religious feelings, maybe some spiritual feelings. Um, we acknowledge it as true. We acknowledge it as good. But we need it to go deeper. We need it to transform us. And, and, and I hope your heart and your prayers are desiring that today. God, transform me. Change me. Help me. And just the reality that we were dead and God raised us to life. And to be able to start there today, just start there. And then that the reason God breathed life into you is so that he could, in the ages to come and throughout this life, for the unending future, he could show you how kind he is. That's why God saved you. Man, so go back and listen to that. Um, but today... I'm excited also because we're picking it back up in Romans. Um, we're gonna, uh, we left off in Romans several weeks ago now. The plan is to keep marching through this book and to take occasional breaks here and there. Now that plan can change, but that's where it stands right now. And I find that I stay on track a lot better if I read my sermons. So I began transcribing them. So I'm sorry if that feels a little different or wonky. Um, but I, I, I trust that the Lord will use his word today and the, the minimal study that I have put into it that he will cover my weakness um, in speech and preparation uh, with his power and his grace and his kindness to us. So let's briefly review. Well, first, man, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to, I need to stop real quick. Uh, we, I, now, I, I announced last week that we were going to have Kidsville starting back up um, today. And uh, that was the plan, um, but unfortunately that plan did not work. Um, we, we didn't have enough people show up uh, today or be able to commit. Um, and as I was working with Raquel and looking at the roster of who is volunteering back there, it's mainly comprised of people who are already serving. And so if that's all our Kidsville team is made up of, that's just not sustainable. And so for the indefinite future, we're not going to have Kidsville until, um, and this is not a condemnation, so please don't hear it like that, but until God stirs in enough of us to say, hey, um, I want to be back there and I want to invest in, in the kids, not out of compulsion, but out of surrender and the desire of the Lord, then we're just, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to try to force it. Um, I want, I want our, us to understand and get an accurate understanding of where we are at as a church. And if Kidsville's just running, and, you know, people are subjected to indefinite servitude and they're never coming to a service. Nobody's going to know that because their kids are being taken care of and I'm able to go to a service. But if your kids are going to have to sit with you or it's going to be noisy in here, we're going to feel the accurate reflection of where we're at. That we just, we can't sustain a kids ministry right now if, if we don't have enough people volunteering. So with that, next week, um, Raquel is going, she's doing a bomb job. She's you know, leading the nursery and Kidsville Ministries right now, um, mainly the nursery now because we're not having Kidsville. But she is going to be in the lobby next Sunday after church with a table with sign-up sheets and background checks um, for us to begin uh, onboarding people into Kidsville Ministry. Now, you may want to serve. You may not be qualified. You may not have maybe the gifting, or you may not pass a background check. Let's not joke around. We're a bunch of sinners in here, okay? So... Some of us, you know, we're, we're, that's just going to be the reality, and that's okay. God has another place for you to serve. 
Um, so it's not just, hey, anyone who wants to serve. I mean, it's, that's not the reality either. So but anyway, I just want to cover that next week after the service. Raquel's going to be in the lobby with the table. Pray on it this week or just pray. Like Jesus said, pray that God sends laborers into the harvest. Before he sent them out, he said, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth labor. So would you do that this week? Would you just pray that God raises up people specifically by his spirit, not the flesh. The last thing we need is fleshly people feeling guilty, trying to lead kids. We need the spirit to work, church. That's always what we need. That's what we need today as I preach. I need the spirit. Okay, so let's briefly review, okay? Um, We have covered... Up to this point, it's been a while, so you may want to go back and review on YouTube or on the website some of the sermons. Um, Brother Nick has led us well through Romans 1 through 3. Um, And so now we're going to start chapter 4 today. And what we've seen is that all are under sin, Jew and Gentile. Those with the law, under the old covenant system, and those without the law, the Gentile world. Which mainly... This whole service is comprised of Gentiles. We're all mostly Gentiles in here today. And back then, the massive shift that was taking place was that the system and the God that the Jews had known and served and they were God's chosen people are now coming into this new covenant, those who believe in Jesus, and that's open to the whole world now, not just a specific people group. And, and so the Jews are coming out of an old system and the Gentiles are coming into a, in a sense, a, a, a Jewish system that they, Paul uses later in this book that they've been Gentiles, those who were not God's people formerly. They have been grafted in to the, the tree of God's people in a sense. So Paul is navigating this and he's helping them understand how does this work? And God, God doesn't have favoritism now. All are saved the same way. All are guilty and all find righteousness the same way. So the discussion has been, how do we find righteousness? Because you don't get to God without righteousness. You don't. So where do you get righteousness? And Paul has been unpacking. Well, the Gentiles, and again, maybe I should just read. In chapter 1, we see the Gentiles who do not have the law or the covenant are guilty because they abandon the true God and worship creation. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The Jews who have the law are guilty as well because they do not perfectly keep the law that they do have. Therefore, the law acts as an official judge to the Jews. Whereas Gentiles, they offend God in their conscience and denying him and worshiping other gods, they're guilty. The Jews, they have the law to know what's right and they don't perfectly keep it. And so they're condemned by the law. And so Jew and Gentile are both guilty. Romans, 9, Romans 3, 19 through 20 says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. The law was to kind of round up everybody in the pen of guilt and say, hey, everyone is guilty. Everyone For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The law, I look at it, and what it says, you're guilty. What it says, you disobey. What it says, you're not like God. You're not holy. You you are not righteous. You have not kept the law. That is the declaration, the the never-ending declaration of the law to all of us. You are guilty. So having established this, all humanity, us, let's feel that, not the Jews and Gentiles back then, but us too, we stand hopelessly guilty before a good God, a righteous God. We're on the bad team. We're on the losing team. We must understand that. Because if we jump too quickly to the good news... That good news will be cheapened. You must understand your state. Like last week, you're spiritually dead. You're cut off from life. You're an enemy of God. That's all of us, church. 
And then Paul moves to the very next verse in chapter 3. Again, we're still reviewing here. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, and if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 3, because we're, gonna, we're reviewing Romans 3, 21. I want you to read this with me. We're going to jump right into chapter 4, so you should be able to keep that open. But now, Paul says, some of the best words in the Bible, but now, or but God, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. So Paul says, hey, but a different, there's a different way to find righteousness. Now that can sound so sketch to the Jews. They're ready to stone Paul at this point. Uh-uh, no, God's holy. You got to keep the law. Paul saying there's another way sounds scandalous. But here's the deal. The law, the Torah, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the prophets, God's messengers, they both look at this new way and they say, yeah, that's right. That's, that's the way to find righteousness. This is not just Paul making stuff up. This is what the Old Testament leads us to believe. The law itself, which condemns us, also shows us that's the way to righteousness. What is the way? That's what we're going to look at. The righteousness of God is through faith. This is the different way right here. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no... We just got to stop. We just got to soak. Okay. All right. All right. This is the way, guys. Verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 is one of the most wondrous texts in the Bible. They are justified freely by His grace. You are justified, made righteous. When you believe in Jesus, you somehow overcome all that the law condemns of you, all the weight of sin that is upon you and judgment that is upon you. When you believe in Jesus, just circumvents all of that and says, you are righteous now. And, and we're going to see why that can happen, how that makes any sense at all today. Paul, because that shouldn't make sense. That shouldn't be fair. What is the purpose of the law then if, if, if we can just, you know, jump right over it? And maybe that's not the best analogy, but, but that can, that's what it can feel like, what Paul's saying here. They are justified freely by his grace through, notice the by and notice the through. We're justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we get that redemption when we believe. When we simply say, God, I need you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God presented him, and we're going to talk about this in a bit. Verse 25, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. We're going to talk about that today. How in the world is Abraham, David, Noah, you know, others in the Old Testament, how were they righteous? How can God claim people are righteous in the Old Testament when Jesus never died back then? How is that even possible? He passed over their sin. Well, how can God do that and be just? How can God say to a murderer and an adulterer, you're righteous? That's absurd. Is it not? We have a problem. You must see the problem that Scripture presents to us. God cannot be just and do that. Or can He? That's what we're going to unpack today. Brothers and sisters, do not see this as insignificant. Do not see this as a minor detail that is kind of the boring minutiae of Scripture. This is the establishment of your faith. You must understand it. Are you sober-minded today? Lean in. Lean in by faith. God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. Now, Jesus came now, Paul says, so that God would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I'm already trying to unpack that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit here. Okay, so we have hope. There's a way to righteousness, faith in Jesus. 
And when you understand the weight of your sin and the weight of the law, oh, church, that's, that's, that's breath. That's like taking a breath for the first time. I can have peace with God. I can be saved. I can find forgiveness. We've heard these things so long, and many of you who have grown up in church, that they become so assumed, so taken for granted. But our justification, our salvation is, is, is drawing nearer. It should become more precious to us as we continue to un, un, unearth or allow God to unearth the, the, the sin and the nastiness inside of us and how much he's forgiven and how much his grace is poured upon us day to day. So let's jump into Romans 4 now, okay? Romans 4. Um, as Brother Nick kind of establishes our tradition, I think it's profitable to read through the whole chapter. We get the context. That, rec- that means you got to stay with me, though. That means you got you to put an effort here. You got you to kind of shake off the sleepiness, all right? Because this gets, this gets deep, all right? When Peter said about Paul, um, and Paul, some of the things he wrote, which are hard to understand, Peter said that about Paul's writing. He may have been talking about Romans chapter 4. Okay? So stay with me. You have the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. It's very important. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But the one, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, faith, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David says this in Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Yes, indeed, David. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Those under the covenant. Or is it also for the uncircumcised, for the Gentile, for the Gentiles? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then? Was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised, before he accepted that covenant God gave him. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. And and the rest of this we're going to talk about next week. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law. God didn't make that promise to Abraham through the law but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace. Remember, we're saved by grace to guarantee it. To all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of the Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist, he believed, talking about Abraham, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. That, that's, a, that's a quote, again, from the Old Testament there. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since Get this, Abraham was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. What was the promise that God made to Abraham? 
I'll make you a great nation. You know what you need to become a great nation? You need some kids. You need some descendants. Well, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham's about 100 years old. Ain't going to happen. But, but God says no. And we're going to read that promise, right? And it's so cool because with the teens on Thursdays, we, we've, a few weeks ago, we were just here in Genesis. I love how this, this comes together. Because Abraham was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was, now this phrase, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone. I love this. We're going to get into this next week, hopefully. But also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, which we just sang about. And oh, how glorious it is to rejoice in that truth. Oh, pray with me, church. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Father, what a good God. What a gracious God who is so full of mercy and patience. Lord, I stand only confident in the blood of Jesus today. Lord, who am I to deliver your holy and perfect word to this people? We are sheep. Lord, feed your flock today. Lord, overcome my limitations and my weaknesses and my flesh today. Do not let them, my flesh today, do not have the mic. Lord, do not let me speak longer than work in hearts today, Lord. Have your way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Bring us to maturity. Give us alertness. Give us awakeness. Lord, give us understanding of the word. An understanding that that's not just, oh yeah, that was good, that made sense. But an understanding that causes us to worship, that causes us to give thanks. Not because it's contrived, not because we're trying, but because you're doing it. God is in the room and he is doing the work. So Lord, be gracious to us. Be gracious to your people. Do your work of salvation and sanctification through the word today in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. May your word go forth in power. Amen. Amen. Get up here and sing again and then we'll get back into this. Man. All right. Verse 1. What then? Chapter 4. You with me? You there? Okay. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? The first Old Testament illustration and the best illustration is Abraham. So in chapter 3, what we just looked at, Paul says, okay, we're saved by faith in Jesus. How? How in the world? That, like, how, we had the Old Testament. We had all these laws we needed to keep. How in the world can you just throw this at us now, Paul, that this is the way to be saved? That's what Paul's doing in chapter 4. He's explaining this is how it makes sense. And he uses, he goes to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament in a sense, even before the Old Covenant, to two examples we're going to look at today. And they are the two best examples he could use. Because these characters were elevated in, in Jewish tradition and understanding. They are maybe the two most important characters in the Old Testament, Abraham and David. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel where it all started. So he goes right to Abraham. And Paul asks, what has Abraham found? I love this. I love this. Abraham found this truth that we are discussing. Righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. Now the Jews, rabbis, and Pharisees did not rightly understand Abraham. They did not. They distorted Abraham into some impossible example of, of obtaining righteousness by works. That's what they considered Abraham. He was, he was just better than everyone. Abraham was the original hero. He was the goat. They missed the whole point that Paul is using Abraham to show us here. We can clearly see, and on Thursday nights, walking through Genesis with the teens, we clearly have that Abraham was no spiritual giant. It's appalling. When you look at his life, you're just like, like, like sometimes when kids do something dumb, you're just like, or you're watching some reel on Instagram or something and you're just shaking your head dumbfounded. How, what were you thinking? There's multiple moments in Abraham's life where you're just like, this is your man, God? This is your man? 
So I, I don't know how. I mean, the Pharisees and scribes, they really had to look over a lot to come to the conclusion that Abraham was some awesome person. He was a failure and a coward like the rest of us in here. So we see from Scripture that clearly what Abraham did not find was a human ability to stand in righteousness before God. So what Abraham did find, and when it says our father according to the flesh, what I believe Paul is talking about there is that, hey, he, he is, the phys- he is the, our physical ancestor, the, the nation of Israel's physical ancestor. What has he found? Abraham found this. Paul's saying, what I'm telling you is not new. It's not new. I didn't make this up. Abraham saw this. Abraham found this. He didn't clearly perfectly understand it and he didn't have, you know, Jesus is going to come and he's going to live and this is how it's all going to work. No, but he found righteousness by faith. Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. If Abraham had attained a righteousness through his own works before God, he gets credit. Do you see that? Paul makes that point here. He has something to stand on. He can boast before God. He can say, I I did it. I did it. I found a way to be better. (laughs) However, we've already established from Scripture, chapters 1 through 3, that no one is righteous before God. And it's not just Paul in chapters 1 through 3. In chapters 1 through 3, he's quoting Old Testament Scriptures that tell us this. The only way, oh, from Scripture, that no one is righteous before God, no one has anything to stand on. No one. We're, like, we're naked in the light. We got nowhere to run. We got nowhere to hide. We're exposed before Almighty God. And there's no one to defend us. No one. Feel that. When we talk about shame, we're singing today, you broke my shame. Feel the shame of that, of where you were before Christ, where you stood before God. You may have looked good to other people. They may have praised you, but before God, you're dirty and guilty and nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, no defense. Feel the fear of that, church. Feel the intensity of that. The only way to salvation is faith in Jesus. The only way to get closed, the only way to get clean, our only hope is being justified, declared righteous freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Jesus. Not outside of Jesus, not alongside Jesus, in Jesus. That being the case, no one can boast that they have achieved anything on their own, including Abraham. Paul corrects all of his peers, his Jewish peers here. He says, no, Abraham cannot stand on his own righteousness. That's not what he found. Paul says, not before God. In his own works, Abraham stands guilty before God like the rest of us. Go tell that to a rabbi or a Pharisee and you might get yourself stoned. But God does not condemn Abraham. Abraham dies righteous. How? Why? I mean, it's amazing. Like, God never necessarily rebukes Abraham as he blows it royally over and over again. He never comes in and says, I'm done with you. He never comes in and says, you're sinful. Depart from me. I never knew you. Get away from me. Why? As you read Genesis, that should bother you. That sh- you should ask that. As you read through the Old faith looked forward to the cross even though he couldn't see it that's very important very important Abraham didn't have this clear picture like you know it just showed up like marvel like kind of a portal and there's Jesus dying on the cross and Abraham's like I get it no 
It's that faith. It's that faith that says God's going to do it. God's going to do it. This is before the law. This is before anything. Abraham does not live righteously after this point, from this point on through the rest of his life. He doesn't. But he is saved. Church, that's good news for you and me. Abraham is saved because he believes God and he's righteous. Oh, Abraham got righteousness. He's looking up at the stars and bam, he's righteous. What? That's the power of the cross thousands of years later. Oh, glorious truth. God passed over Abraham's sins because they were going to be paid for by Jesus. With this understanding, the word credited makes so much sense. When God said, when God said he, he credited righteousness to Abraham, that word makes so much sense. When you buy something with your credit card, in that moment, when you slide that card, who pays for it? No. No, you don't. You don't pay for it. Who pays for it? The bank, the company, the credit card company. Do you see this? When you buy something on credit, who pays for it in that moment? The credit card company does, right? You're not paying cash. You're not paying with a debit. It's a credit. So when it says God credited righteousness to Abraham, I mean, you have to pay later, right? That's, that's where this comes in. In a similar way, God gives Abraham righteousness on credit that Jesus will later pay for. Do you see that? Do you see that? He says, yes, Abraham, you're righteous. Because, the, because Jesus is actually going to pay the company for you. Jesus is going to pay the debt for you. And so I'm crediting you righteousness in now, in this moment. Does that make sense? Romans 4, 4 through 5. Let's move on. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. This is very important. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. And beloved, this is how we are saved. If we work for our salvation, God owes us. You can say that confidently. If you worked for your salvation, God owes you salvation. I don't care how little work you did. If you worked enough for it, if the standard was you have to do this and you did that, you're, you're saved and it's on you. And you, you worked for your salvation and God owes you. And when we get to heaven, he'll, you know, payday. Everyone gets paid. You did this, way to go, salvation. You did this, credit. We can boast. I found it, guys. I attained it. I did it. I saved myself. I found God's salvation. Look at me. But do not be deceived. God owes no one. No one. This is a topic for another time. But as much as you may have suffered injustice in your life, God owes no one. God does not owe you. He does not owe me. And every offense that has been done to you was first an offense to God himself. As much hurt as you've experienced, God has experienced that for everyone. Because all of those hurts and offenses have been done to him first. They've offended his holiness, his righteousness. God does not owe anyone. But for us, the ungodly who do not work for our salvation and cannot produce good works from our flesh that would merit any righteousness. For us, we believe in the one who justifies. Oh, God justifies. Only God, only Jesus justifies us. And our faith is credited for righteousness. Rejoice. This is why we rejoice. This is why we sing. Because that is good news. Because you have been justified, because I have been saved by nothing other than the blood of Jesus, the works of someone else. They did it all for me. There's no reason I should be saved. It's God's grace. 
He says, yeah, I did it all for you. I did it all for you. Just receive it. Just believe it. It's my grace. And if you don't understand what it cost, Christianity is a bloody religion. It's a bloody affair. Because your righteousness was bought with the blood of the Son of God. So when you are justified, oh church, realize what is justifying you. Realize the cost that bought your justification. It was not cheap. It was not cheap. As Jesus told those he healed at times, your faith has made you well. You have earned nothing but like Abraham, according to God's mercy on you, you have found faith to believe because he chose you and loves you. Verses six through eight. We're moving, we're moving. You with me? Come on, you with me? Come on, we can do this, we can do this. This is the word. We're understanding it. We're meditating on it. We're seeking the Lord right now. Likewise, David, okay, here we go, second illustration, also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God created righteousness apart from works. David found it too. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Paul is showing us this is not just for Abraham. David found, Abraham was not like a rare exception case. He's like, no, that's not the case. And even if he was a rare exception case, he's the father of the whole nation. So he's kind of, a, kind of an important person there. But it's David as well, the greatest king of Israel. He points us to Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, 1 and 2, it says this. David says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, you're reading that in the Old Testament. You should be scratching your head. You should have a problem. You should be asking the questions, these questions. But David, who can be forgiven? Who, how can our sin be covered? How can that even happen? The blood of a lamb and a goat is going to cover my sin? Really? Hebrews tells us no way. That never could cover sin. How can God not charge someone with iniquity when all of us have iniquity? Sin. How can someone have a spirit without deceit? Because there's deceit in all of us. These are the questions you should be asking when you read something like that, something absurd like that. It sounds so nice. It, there's massive problems. Now, how can David say all that? How can all that be true? By faith in Jesus. Amen. By faith in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, our sins are washed. We are given a new heart. As we talked about last week, we are literally, spiritually, called to life from the dead. And the life we live, get this, is Christ himself. My life, the life I live, is Christ inside of me. I have no spiritual life on my own. It's only Jesus. He's in us. That's why David can say this. Again, David maybe didn't see it all clearly. He didn't see the portal of Jesus dying on the cross. Other verses tell us, man, they saw vaguely. The prophets that, that prophesied, even prophesied, they maybe saw more clearly than anyone that, hey, someone's going to come, a Messiah's going to come. Even they, it says, they, they, they saw kind of in, in they, it says, they, they, in a darkness, in a mystery. What we get to clearly see now. Oh, oh, that's what the Old Testament, oh, it's Jesus. He was, the pro, he was the one that was coming to save us from our sins. He's the reason we sacrifice all these animals, to help us understand sin as a cost. And I'm not saved because I sacrifice animals. I'm saved because I believe in Jesus and I sacrifice animals in obedience to remind myself that I'm gonna need to be saved by someone. I'm gonna need something more valuable than the blood of animals. I'm gonna need the blood of the Son of God. And they didn't get to see that totally clearly. But they got to saw enough 
They got to see enough to trust God. Now, I want to be careful here, okay? Mark this. Because I'm going to make a kind of jump. God may correct me as I continue learning and studying, but until then, I'm going to believe this is true and I feel enough confidence to preach it to you today. Okay? I need to, I need to put that there. There's a chance this may not be totally scriptural. I, I hope it is. I think it is. I'm not saying it just because it sounds, just because I, you know, it sounds good. Like I, I think this is biblical, but I just, I want to make sure I put that out there. What Paul is showing us here, and I'd welcome feedback, is not just how to understand these couple of verses with David and Abraham. Paul is helping us understand the Old Testament. He's giving us a lens for which to understand the Old Testament church. He is showing um, when David sounds to be boasting about his own righteousness in some of the Psalms or someone like Noah is referred to as righteous or Job or whoever else, what Paul is saying here in Romans 4 is massive. It helps us understand where those dudes got their righteousness. When it sounds like the Bible saying, oh, they did this and that and God considered them righteous. It sounds like somehow they earned their righteousness and it, it should make you scratch your head. You're like, how does that work though? Like, I thought the only way to righteousness, what Paul's saying is through Jesus. So, so how can that be the case? How can, that be, how can they be called righteous? They are righteous because of faith in God and any good works they do are works produced by faith. So as you read through your Old Testament and David is talking to God and he's like, Lord, reward me for my righteousness. My hands are clean. What? You're a liar. That's what should come out to you. Unless, unless Romans 4. That David can say, how awesome is this? Lord, reward me for my righteous acts that I got from you. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't see that I got from you part. But in Romans 4, we now get to look back and say, oh, I have a context for which to understand their righteousness. That any good works they produced or David, any reward they deserved was only due to the righteousness and the work that God had done in them. It wasn't their own works. It was because of their faith. And their faith produced good works. Do you realize that's the same for us? Our good works are produced by faith. And if they're not produced by faith, they're not good works. They're works of the flesh and they'll burn. They'll burn. Do you see this? Romans 9 through 11. We're, we're getting there, guys. We're almost done. We're only going to verse 12 today, which... This is, oh yeah, 9 through 12. So this is it right here. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Paul says. Okay, so now that we've established this, that the blessing Abraham received was righteousness credited by faith. Righteousness by faith. That's, that's what today is, is the sermon's called. Righteous by faith, part one. We're gonna get into part two, hopefully not a part three, hopefully just part two next week. Righteous by faith. Um, was it uh, only for the circumcised, only for those who got circumcised? Because God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham. And then from there on, the Jews and scribes and all of the Jewish nation is like, oh, if you're not circumcised, no, you, you can't have anything to do with God. They missed the point again. Yes, circumcision, and, and you can go back and we don't need to talk about circumcision again because Nick already did that a few weeks ago. I mean, it's like, how many times do you want to put the, the word in here, Paul? Like, I'm, I'm dazed. For we say faith, okay, so or is it also for the uncircumcised? Is this blessing, is it only for the Jews? Is it only for those under the covenant of circumcision? Or is it for the Gentiles as well? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? When did he get the righteousness? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. So before Abraham fulfilled and obeyed the covenant, oh, hear this. Before Abraham obeyed the covenant of circumcision that God gave him, he was righteous. He was righteous. Abraham did not, and I'm already getting ahead of what I wrote. 
Abraham did not get righteousness after he was circumcised, after he kept the covenant God gave him. God's not like, okay, Abraham, you'll be righteous as long as you do this. No. Paul's saying, look, notice the timeline here. Notice the order of events. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe and are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised as well, who are not only circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, the faith our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. If Abraham would have received the righteousness after circumcision, then an argument could be made that one must be circumcised to be saved. That righteousness isn't by faith. That righteousness by faith isn't just by faith, actually. It's by faith and circumcision. And over the millennia, many such arguments like that have been raised. In the book of Acts, at the beginning of the church, this exact argument became an issue that had to be addressed by the elders and apostles. And if you go back a few weeks, uh, a few months now, Nick talks about this. This story is in Acts 15, where literally this is the problem. And so as Paul's writing this, I imagine he has that in mind. There were certain Pharisees that began to teach, well, yeah, you can be saved by faith in Jesus, but you do have to be circumcised. You do have to do that. Um, and as a grown man, man, that's an that's a awkward position to be in. Right? And more than that, oh, I've got to do something to be saved. I've got to do something to save. And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, oh, oh, no way. No way. And so they have this, this council at Jerusalem and James and the apostles and elders. They're all involved in this. And Paul's like, look, this is the conclusion. If, if Abraham was saved after he got circumcised, if he got righteousness after he did what God told him to do, then he can't just be saved by faith. You have to be saved by faith and something. Thankfully, Abraham was credited righteousness before circumcision. Otherwise, Abraham would only be the father of those who are circumcised. But he's not. He is the father of all who believe. So whether circumcised or uncircumcised, those who believe. Abraham is the father of those who believe. The covenant was a seal of those who believe. It was the sign that you believe under the old covenant. It served that purpose to mark those who believe. This seems very similar to baptism as we know it. Now, in the, under the new covenant, the physical act of baptizing someone does not save their soul or regenerate them. It doesn't do that. It is the seal of their salvation, the evidence, the demonstration of their salvation. When we baptize someone in this tub over here, when we set it up, right, we're not saving anybody. That person is demonstrating to us, I have put my faith in Jesus. I have been saved. I have made, been made righteous. I have been justified by faith in Jesus. That is baptism. It is a declaration. It is a demonstration. I've been justified by faith. Just like circumcision. I am, I am one of God's people. That's what it was. I belong to the nation God has chosen. Similarly, baptism functions in that way. They made, um, here we go, this is what the Jews totally missed. They made righteousness all about what they could do, what their flesh could produce. They tried to be righteous by a standard that only condemns them and everyone else. How hopeless is that? That the very thing you're looking to, to make you righteous, only condemns you perpetually. What a sad existence. What a blindness. And that's why you see Paul mourning for his people. He says, my desire for Israel is that all of them be saved. I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for their sake. But they're blind. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. He either talks about that later in Romans or we already have talked about that. I think it may be coming later, actually. Romans 10. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. And those are going to be fun days right there. So how are we to respond today? I call you 
I implore you to believe in Jesus. Do you realize that's your life? Oh yeah, I believed. If you've never believed, if you've been believing for years, I implore you, believe in Jesus. This moment, this day, may your faith be in Christ. You have no righteousness any other way. Every other path is hopeless. The only way you know God is with righteousness. And the only way you get righteousness is faith in Jesus. Those who are confident in here and assured of their faith in Jesus, worship him again for his mercy. This salvation, oh, that is our response. We worship. We give thanks. We stand in awe. We fear God. What a great mystery. What a great goodness. What a great mercy he has shown us that we could be saved by faith. Church, you are righteous. If you believe in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you are righteous. Do not dismiss that. Satan will do everything he can to try to minimize that, poke a hole in it, you know, whatever else distract you from that. But that righteousness, as we said earlier, it was bought with Jesus' blood. He had to die for you and me to be righteous. We know that. Jesus died. I'm calling you to meditate on that. I'm calling you to believe that. Because when you believe that, you will value your righteousness. Because it is not yours, it is his. And it was costly. What a great cost by which we've been saved. You are righteous, so go and live righteously. Church, do you realize you've been made righteous? You have no excuse to live unrighteously now. Now, if I just left it there, that would be kind of confusing and intimidating. But thankfully, I think it's in Colossians, Paul says, hey, or Galatians, hey, the same way you got righteousness is the same way you continue in it. As you received Christ by faith, so walk in him, right? I'm misquoting that slightly. So the way you live righteously is the same way you got your righteousness, faith in Jesus. Lord, I need you. I need you. I have been so overwhelmed lately, church, when I, have, when I see the standard of scripture and the standard for someone who stands up here and does what I'm doing right now, it's so high, I don't even know if I qualify scripturally. Like, it's so intimidating. The Christian life is impossible. What God calls us to is impossible. Being saved is impossible. Do you see this? You must have faith in Christ and you know the first step? You're like, well, what if I don't have faith? The first step is believing God's given you faith. The first step is believing God's given you faith to believe. It came from him in the first place. Don't make faith a work. Do not make faith a work. I got to drum up enough faith to believe in Jesus. I did it. I'm going to boast now because, well, yeah, I didn't save myself, but I found the, I found the way to, to believe enough so that I could get saved. The subtlety in that, no, fall into the arms of Jesus. Cry out. The sinner's prayer, I love it. It's not, Jesus, come into my heart. It's, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. It comes from that story with the, the Pharisee and the, the sinner who both approached God, and the, the Pharisee was thanking God that he wasn't like other men, you know, that he was good. And the sinner... He stood far off and he beat his chest. He said, have mercy on me. You know what that is? Jesus said, he went away justified. He went away, he went away righteous, righteous. That's faith. That's faith. You have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in 
Christ Jesus. Now walk in it. Go live righteously, crying out to the Lord with faith in him, not minimizing the calling of grace. Well, you know, can't be that hard to, you know, God, you can't be asking that of me. You can't be asking me to stay sexually pure until marriage. <laughs> what? You can't be telling me to forgive that person. Like, that's impossible. <laughs> Your salvation was impossible, brothers and sisters. But God did it. That's the Christian life. I get up every morning and I say, how in the world am I supposed to live righteously today? I am so aware of my flesh and like all it takes is one wrong move. And I'm done. I don't get to stand up here anymore and say stuff. I'm done. I'm disqualified. Even as a Christian, I sin against the one who died for me. One wrong move in the flesh. And I'm not saying that to scare us, but to, to help us see how impossible it is. You should feel the weight of that. Because the way I live righteously is trusting and crying out and holding desperately to Jesus. He is able. He is able to keep me. And when I fall, when I don't love my wife well, when I'm short with someone, when I'm angry, when I'm tempted sexually and I allow a thought to stay too long or whatever, I come back to his feet and I find the grace. I find the same grace that saved me, saving me again. Not that I lost anything, but just renewed, poured out again, crushing my sin again. The blood of Jesus, righteous, righteous, righteous. Man, Psalm 23 a couple weeks ago, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. That's what that is. It's God coming again and again. You come broken for your sin and he says, bam, righteous, righteous, over and over and over and over. And it should bring you to tears. Not saying we have to drum up tears because, you know, that somehow makes the spirit. No, but like that's how intense it is. Sometimes I don't have the tears, but I want to cry because I'm like, wow, okay. Or I'm just overwhelmed because life is so hard. Righteous by faith. Praise God. Lord, thank you. Lord, our master, our king. God, how mighty I feel right now standing up here proclaiming your word with confidence. <laughs> Lord, tomorrow's coming. This afternoon's coming, and I'm going to be hungry and exhausted and selfish. I need you beyond this moment, Lord. We need you beyond this moment. And, and but Lord, this is the moment you've given us, and so we're, we're trusting you with later. We're trusting you with tomorrow. We must have Jesus, and, and he is here. He is with us. He's never left us. He never will. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We believe that. And as we sing, Lord, lift our faith more. May our joy become more full as we sing right now. Oh, yet not I, but Christ through me. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you're with us, Lord. We're sheep. And we need our shepherd. Help us, Lord. Help us live righteously. Help us believe. Oh, yes, Lord. Man, if you want to come down and just be with the Lord, just thank him for his righteousness, come on down. If you want to do that in your seat, do that. If you want to be saved, come. Give your life to the Lord in your seat. Have mercy on me, God. Save my soul. It's only Jesus. Oh, church, there's not the right words. There's not the right feelings. It's just truth. It's just truth. It's so far above your feelings. It's so far above your circumstances. It's true right now. You can be saved by faith. And we must. We must be saved by faith or we will meet the judgment of God. 
His love is available. He says, I want you. Come. So if that's you and you're sensing that, the time has come. Don't delay. Brother, sister, talk to me after the service. If you're still confused, if there's questions, man, there's always questions. Let's talk through them. I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of doubts. But God is good and he's better and he overcomes them. So let's talk. You can talk to me. There's other leaders you can talk to as well. Maybe even the person next to you. This is more serious than anything we're going to think about or, or try to do today or face tomorrow or this week. This is more serious. This is your soul. Man, let's take a few seconds. Just pray. Just be with the Lord right now. Meditate on what we've read, what we've, what we've heard. Give thanks. And then we're going to praise Him.